0: that speaker there we go yeah, yeah I think the one yeah. speaker will probably oh, work That's
1: okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny is that I was in here this week and I told Al I think the speakers are going to feedback, and he was like nah have a beer he's wow. like it'll be fine and I'm like all right I'll start drinking and that was the entire pre-production meeting what? that's all you need, right? <laughs> Most of our pre-production meetings
1: are, what, what do you want to talk about? I don't know, have a Right, beer.
0: right, exactly. See, we're just going to riff till you figure this out. All right, do we think we're good here? We think we're going to give it a shot? All right. Uh, and I will try my best not to screw up that speaker with my loud voice. Uh, my name is Chris Lanuti. Next to me is Ed Siebert. We wow. are about to record an episode of Socks in the Basement. You're listening to Socks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Socks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at Socksinthebasement.com. Belly up to the nine foot homemade oak bar, pour yourself a cold one. My name is Chris, his name is Ed, this is Socks in the Basement, live from Blue Island Beer Company. I was going to say, do you know who made the bar? Because it's it may be homemade. And uh, we have some great guests that we're going to bring here in just a moment. First of all, I want to mention our sponsors. Even though we are away from the bar, we are still brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions, named one of the South Town's best in 2021 by the Daily South Town. They will take care of everything from your bowing walls, your window wells, your foundation and crack repairs. And now is the time whenever you see, like, Patios and driveways going up and down and and looking all disconfigured. That can be repaired without breaking that up. That is a foundation issue. That's water getting underneath. They fix that, they don't have to break up anything and they've been doing it for a long time. Family and veteran owned and operated since they started in 2013. 24-7, 24 7. Give them a call. Mention Socks in the Basement. You get a deep discount 708 330 4466. See what a difference a family makes at FamilyDry.com. The White Socks are on the TV right now as we do this show. And they are trying desperately to win 5 out of 8 against the Indians and the Twins on the road. And before we bring in our guest here, Ed, um, I have to ask you, and and by the time this airs, it'll be airing over the All-Star break, people will be sitting around listening to it, they're going to know, are the Sox 500? Are the Sox 2 under? If they're under, if they lose the game on Sunday, let's say, because we're not going to know. We're going to record this, we're going to be done, I'm going to be drinking when it's over, I'm not going to come back and re-record this. So... Uh, If the Sox lose and they're two under, did they accomplish anything here? Or is it basically they held serve and I'm not excited. No matter how much they try to tell me, get excited until you're 500 or better, there's no reason for me to check the standings.
1: Right, well, you can't get excited about a team that doesn't seem to be excited to play baseball right now. And they come out flat in a couple of games against the Guardians. They have two good games against the Twins, and then you have the exposure of what they're calling now Dallas Lynn, which I don't think is really fair because Dallas Keuchel's <laughs> a raging jerk. And yeah, Lance, Lance Lynn's, Lynn's cool. Lance Lynn's cool. He's <laughs> just having a bad bad stretch here. But you have, you have another starting pitcher that's got an issue that we have to overcome. You've got what we expected Michael Kopeck to be, which is a guy that's going to have... A, a, you know, a period where he's going to hit a wall, right? He's going to hit his innings limit. We're going to have that issue to manage down the stretch. So it becomes just a question of, yeah, do you, how much do you trust the Twins to fall apart? How much do you trust the Guardians are not going to be a team that is young and hungry and gets hot and wants to try and overtake the Twins and put the White Sox in the rearview mirror? And if you're counting on two different teams to basically crap the bed, you're not going to have anything good come out of just sitting here and saying we hope that the Sox get hot because they might get hot but they might still
0: finish in third yeah it's not an exciting team it's not a fun team I'd like to talk about a fun team today and it's the perfect time to do it the first half is ending and maybe maybe they they change my mind in the second half right now but gosh even if they do it, what are you going to think about them if they make the playoffs? Like, what, what? Like, in any way, do you feel like they can beat the Yankees? So, I mean, like, I, I guess maybe I'm just a bad fan because I just want championships and not like shots in the dark. Right. Right. I mean, that's right. What's wrong that, with that's, me?
1: That's 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 our I'm poor a fandom. Fan is that's what our I am. poor right. fandom coming out <laughs> <I'm kidding>. because <laughs> we demand championships and we just don't want to go one and out for the third year in a row in the playoffs.
0: Exactly. All right. So let's talk about a better team that uh, I don't even think made the playoffs. They did not. Somehow they yeah. got a book written about them. This team will never get a book written them. They were fun and exciting, that's why. And our guest today brought to you by the Village of Lamont. Want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks, and green spaces filled with adventure? Visit the Village of Lamont, shop, dine, drink, and explore. For more, learn everything that Lamont has to offer at lamontdowntown.com, and we'll bring in our guest right now, John Owens and David J. Fletcher, who wrote the book "Chili Dog MVP," Dick Allen, the '72 White Sox, and the Transforming of Chicago. Let's give him a hand here in Blue Island Beer Company. And already, I mean, like the first comment that they gave me was. Wow, those are some big microphones that you guys have. Like, they're like, what the, what the heck is this operation that we're doing? Guys, welcome to the show. How are you?
2: Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, we're really glad to hear, be here and also be at the Blue Island Tavern.
0: Do you have a favorite beer here? You know, as, as we kind of settle into this interview, is there something that you, you're drinking a Diet Coke?
2: Well, I'm going to bring that. some beer home. I'm, I'm going I'm, <laughs> to, you know, make sure the like, alley gets taken care of like that. As long as you have the socks
0: in the basement koozie around your uh, I, your can. I do. That's all that matters. That's, that's all right. that matters. So, so there's a lot to unpack inside of this book. But I guess the first thing that I always want to ask about Dick Allen, and the book's not just about Dick Allen. I want to jump into that right away. The book is, like, he's, he's just the figure, right? Like, he's the face of that time period, why is he the face of that time period? I mean, like, I can listen to my dad wax poetic about Dick Allen and the, you know, Southside hitmen and the red pinstripe jerseys, but it really just sounds like an old guy telling me stories. I don't know anything
3: about it. Tell me why he's such a big deal. He's such a big deal because he arguably was one of the best players. Not argue, he was one of the best players and arguably was perhaps the best offensive player within his time period 1964 to 1974 maybe Hank Aaron was better but he was a five tool player an exciting five tool player who uh, uh, because of you know uh, uh, exterior forces was forced to bounce from team to team and ended up with the White Sox the L- White Sox were lucky enough to get him in, in exchange for Tommy John and late 1971 and you know the reason he's important to us is because he really helped save this organization for the city he and other you know uh, other uh, people on the team like Harry Carey and Nancy Faust and the owner John Allen without these people we wouldn't be sitting here today talking about probably a better Sox team than that 72 Sox team this Sox team it probably has a lot more offensive talent maybe a m- more pitching talent uh, but, you know, the, the White Sox of 72 went beyond and above what their expectations were because, of, because they had, you know, Dick Allen, one of the best players in baseball on their team.
1: Well, and we're 50 years removed from the 1972 Sox, right? So fans today know how bad we've got it, quote, unquote, I, you know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> A bunch of pessimists on the south side, but the angriest fan base in America. Let's be honest; we we just don't believe in anything. I think that they were up three games to none on the Astros, and everybody in the house still believed that they were somehow going to screw it up in 05. Like that's what this fan base is.
1: So in in that era in '71, '72, '73. So when Dick Allen comes in '72, like what's what's the context for for what the fan base would have been feeling back then? I mean, because right now we just we complain that. We complain that we've had one World Series in the past 20 years.
2: Well, I think to answer the first question, which will lead to your second question, is Dick Allen was Michael Jordan before there was Michael Jordan. He electrified the fan base. He brought the fans back to Comiskey Park. What we talk about in this book, John and I, is how moribund the team was. They're one leg out of Chicago, an important civic organization, institution. We had lost the Stockyards, and we're about to lose the White Sox. The fans that they drew were horrible attendance. 1970, around 500,000 fans. They were a terrible team, 107, or 108 losses. They're absolutely lousy. And so this is a complete turnaround, and the Sox you know, ended up hiring Harry Carey. They got Nancy Faust to start in 1970, and then the magic came when Dick Allen came in 1972. So the fans came back. Comiskey Park was the place to go. Suddenly the Cubs were below the fold. It was happening at White Sox Park, and that's what it was called then.
0: Yeah, well, I, I enjoy any time the Cubs are below the White Sox, so that's a good right. thing. But, but let's get into that, because as we said at the beginning, Chili Dog MVP is not just about Dick Allen. I mean, it's, he's a he's a great figure, and as you said, he's the star. He's the star of your book like he was the star of the 72 team. Tell me a little bit about Nancy Faust and why she means so much in this book when you're talking about the 72 team.
3: Well, Nancy Faust is important because she was an innovator, and he, she was one of the many innovators on the in, in, in with the Sox right now, or, or in 1972, she um, she was hired in 1970. She was only 24, 25 years old, and she immediately began changing the whole concept of stadium entertainment. She did that by doing things like you know playing uh, what eventually became known as walk-up music. She'd have individual music for all the different players. Did she create that? She created that. That's
0: interesting, because all of baseball does that now.
3: All of baseball does that. and fact, Yohan
0: Moncada makes his own. Right, Yohan Moncada sings his own walk-up music while he hits under 200. Right. It's amazing. Well, if I, I could hit under 200 and make up a song, tells you he needs a banding cage instead of a microphone. But that's a, you
2: know. So Nancy should be credited for that innovation besides the other stuff that she did a longer career. But she played Jesus Christ Superstar when Dick came up to the plate, and that was with the invention of walk-up music. And <laughs> some of you are old enough like I am, have to have been there it was freaking unbelievable exciting with a big pipe organ when she played the opening chords of that song it was just unbelievable people didn't go to the bathroom they stayed the up aisles were empty because people wanted to see what he would do at the plate and he delivered he had a season for the ages and you have to always remember how white Sox park slash old comiskey was not exactly hitters park
0: all right. Well, as we're sitting here, we're recording the show during this game that I will not know the end of until the until after we're done recording. The White Sox have actually taken the lead, so maybe maybe they finish 500 in the first half. <laughs> maybe Ed. Maybe right. and okay. then
1: Maybe the Nationals decide to trade Juan Soto oh here, gosh. so we have a new Dick Allen. You've in been the drinking park too
0: much. <laughs> You've been drinking way too much. I, no I went
1: to a him. wedding last night, and I might still be a little... uh, What do you think?
0: I I would offer Larry Garcia and Jose Ruiz, but I think Tony La would turn it down. I think he would. I think he would. Also, Mike Rizzo would turn it down. All right. Well, before we get back to these guys, I want to remind you about High and Home Medical Equipment, one of the proud sponsors of Socks in the Basement. Uh, It's all about staying independent, especially as you get older. Maybe you've got an uh, an older parent and you're trying to take care of them. You want to make sure that they can get around the house. They do everything from diabetes care to those CPAP machines. They'll put the, uh, the oxygen tanks in the house, okay? they'll work with the insurance so that you don't have to pay that much for it and they got this big beautiful showroom here on the south side instead of like ordering things from far away you want to be able to talk to people you want to be able to fix the problems and they'll even put in like the the, the lifts that go up the stairs or the ramps outside of the houses it's all about keeping that independence and taking care of those that matter most to you check them out online today at hhme.com or visit them in person either way mention us you will get a discount tell them all about socks at the basement. 708-422-2300. Visit them today at 3518 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois. So let me ask you guys this. I see Goose Gossage did uh, a forward in this book. I would imagine there's an awful lot of personalities that were around this team, and I don't know how many of them you talked to, but when you did get to talk to guys who were part of this team, even though this team didn't go out and win a championship or do anything spectacular, what is their feeling about the 72 Sox? Is this like something that's close to their heart because of the way that it was that year?
3: Do they recognize how important it was? Oh, to a man, they they recognize how important this team was because of Dick, because Dick was such a unifying force. He was, you know, you mentioned Goose Gossage. This was his rookie year. Um, a, a phenom who threw 100 miles an hour, which was not... Uh, not uh, it, it, which was unique back then goose credited dick with you know really helping shape him as a pitcher by doing things like pitching inside um, not being afraid to intimidate a hitter you know pretty much to a man everybody on this team you know knew how you know important this team was primarily because of dick and because of people like chuck tanner um, it wasn't an overly talented team you had uh yet dick uh, at first you had Bill Melton at third who was had uh, won the it was a home run champion uh, in 1971 but he was injured for much of 1972 you had Carlos May great line drive hitter but other than that you didn't really have a lot of offense and on uh, it, with pitching you had the great Wilbur Wood who was a 20 plus game in the middle of a, uh, a unprecedented four-year stint where he won 20 games every year you had a, a, a Stan Bonson who was acquired from the Yankees, uh, who was a great fastball, curveball pitcher, and then you had Tom Bradley. But a, it was a three-man pitching rotation, basically. That uh, that was the innovation of another g- great person who we talk about in the book, Johnny Sain, the pitching coach. Uh, best known, Spawn and Sain, pray for rain. Uh, he was a famous uh, pitcher for the Boston Braves, but he was also a unique uh, mind as a pitching coach. Um, so he really helped shape uh, that pitching staff, but it wasn't an overly talented team. Like I said, you know, this year's Sox team had more talent than that 1972 Sox team. But yet, due to Dick and some of these other forces, they were able to compete with one of the great teams of the 70s, the Oakland A's, and they were neck and neck with Oakland up until mid, uh, uh, early September in the AL West.
0: Did nationally people see this team? Like we, uh, my generation grows up essentially with national sports. like ESPN is be com- coming into its own, right? And so you're seeing the highlights of every team around baseball. But uh, it, to me, if you didn't end up on Sports Illustrated, or if you didn't end up like uh, somehow in a national broadcast because something amazing happened in the game, you really couldn't keep track of all the teams in baseball. So did, did any was this just a Chicago thing? or did, did, did people take notice of this around the country?
2: It was uh, take notice around the country. First of all, you have the very iconic Dick Allen Sports Illustrated cover with him juggling the balls with with a heater in his mouth, which he regretted before he died. Right. I mean,
0: Timmy uh, Anderson says he's cool, but Dick Allen's cool.
2: So you had <laughs> yeah. he was they, they they Sports Illustrated about four or five features on the team that year on Wilbur Wood on Bill Bill Milton. They were the team. They were the buzz. And the Ebony did a big feature uh, on Dick. The White Sox. Were the number one road attraction in the united states
0: really so like people like they were coming to town and it was like people wanted to see this they
2: wanted to see them especially the white Sox came back from eight and a half games in 72 at the end of july and had a one and a half game lead at the end of august and we thought we were gonna we we're gonna win it the problem we didn't have melton uh john allen the owner didn't have much money to get some uh late additions to the team and they sort of faded, uh, but they they stay hung up hung you know, hung up there. They were only two and a half out till uh, September 23rd. Uh, you know, they, they, you know, with a little turnaround, they could have could have done it. Uh, there was some clutch hitting that they they blew. Uh, Weber Wood missed six opportunities to uh, win his 27th game. and He didn't.
1: What is 27th game? I mean, even
0: that sounds almost four. 27 games. <laughs> I mean, I, w- in an era when people like 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 pitch five innings and they tell you it was a great start, and like there's applause in the background because the Sox are piling on runs. Like nothing yes. was happening till we did this podcast, right? Like nothing was happening, and now they're beating the crap out of the Twins at Target piece. Which means call Mister Ryan and
1: tell him to have us, I guess, take right. over play-by-play.
0: Play. Right. We'll what other this, yeah. What other podcast starts broadcasting and produces runs like Sox in the basement? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you guys
2: really have a lot of fun here. I like it. I think, again, about Wilbur. He pitched 376 and two-thirds innings. It's crazy. Oh he pitched 27% of the innings for the White Sox that right. year. If a, guy,
0: if a guy pitches 200, he's like a superstar in Major League Baseball right now. He makes he makes $300 million over 10 years. Well, that's Mark Burley's entire Hall of Fame
1: candidacy, isn't it? He's kind of the last guy that's going to pitch 200 innings a bunch of years in a row. It's crazy. It's crazy. crazy. And
2: he, Tom Bradley, Stan Bonson, and Wilbur Wood pitched Started 130 of 154 games. It was a shortened season because of the stripe. That's unbelievable.
0: So let me ask you guys, we'll get away from the book here for just a second, because I I, I love talking to White Sox fans and getting their take on everything that's going on with the current team. And how about we talk about the current state of baseball? Do you enjoy the way the game is now compared to what it was like back then? Can you still enjoy baseball? Do you see the evolution and go, that's cool, that makes sense, I understand why it's like that, or is it annoying to you because baseball was a different game back at at that time?
2: Well, my response to that is I still enjoy it, but not the same. I hate the DH. 1972 was the last year the American League pitchers batted. Terry Forster batted 527. He had a better leader than Dick Allen in his OPS and his OPS Plus. Really? I mean, yeah. It's the whole chapter. Five frickin' 27. His first two years of the White Sox, aged 19 and 20, he batted 500 in the major leagues. Tell me a little bit about
0: what um, that era was like in Chicago, because I know we talked a little bit before we sat down here in front of the microphones. The team itself, with what's going on in the city you draw a link to it in the book. Explain that a little bit to me.
3: Uh, it, what was a, it, it? The subtitle is uh, a trans, uh, "Dick Allen, the Seventy Two White Sox, and a Transforming Chicago." So it was a, sort of a transforming city at the time. Neighborhoods were changing. Um, you, you know, the so, it, specifically the South Side was changing. You had, you know, for the you know first part of the twentieth century, the stockyards dominated. So if you went to a Sox game. At night, you would smell the you know, remnants of what was happening at the stockyards. Um, but by '72, it was uh, it was closing. It was being phased out. It was actually closed the year before uh, Dick Allen came to town. So you had uh, 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 different institutions leaving. Um, you had neighborhoods changing. Um, the the uh, neighborhoods near Comiskey were changing from uh, white ethnic to African American and Latino. So there was a so there was a change going on there. You had Richard J. Daley. He was starting his seventeenth year as mayor in the city. Um, All powerful Richard J. Daley, and he was uh, things were starting to affect him. You know, after the Democratic convention in '68, which was controversial, which kind of affected his national reputation, although it didn't affect his local reputation. But you started to see you know challenges from from both allies like. Um, the so-called Young Turks in the city council, Edward Verdoliak and Ed Burke, were sort of challenging uh, Daley's uh, control of the city. And then you had uh, people like Jesse Jackson and Alderman Bill Singer who were um, uh, challenging him in terms of, the, that was, 72 uh, was also a con- uh, convention year. So they were challenging him on the uh, constitution of what who, who would represent Illinois as a, a delegate. So you had a lot of uh, different things going on with regards to politics, and the, and the White Sox were at the center of it. You know, they, uh, the, the White Sox were Richard J. Daley's team, and he would—he uh, had a box there, right? He Wasn't he like there. seen a lot
0: in the ballpark? He, he was a seen sit-down. a lot at
3: the ballpark, and he paid. Unlike other people, he paid for his tickets. He was a—he was a fan first, and he wouldn't. He uh, although Bill Vec before the Allens and the Allens tried to. Comp him, he would never accept comps. He said, you know, I want to support the team that's uh, representing Chicago. So, um, so he was he was the number one White Sox fan in the city.
0: It's really interesting. It's interesting that you can write a book and you can see all these different things that are going on in the periphery, and also talk about like a, a figure like Dick Allen and this and this team that I don't think every White Sox fan, especially the younger ones, really know about or understand the significance the way that you're talking about them. We're here at Blue Island Beer Company doing socks in the basement. We're we're very happy to be here. We're enjoying uh, the fine brews that they have. We also. Have a brewery that supports Socks in the Basement. That's one of our fine sponsors, the official brewery of Socks in the Basement, is Hailstorm Brewing Company located in Tinley Park at 8060 186th Street, right off of 80th Avenue. They have highly acclaimed new brewer Will Turner out there, decades of experience. He is tweaking their classic styles and innovating new beers of his own, and they have a big tap room. It, it, like here, this this brewery here is cool if you're looking for cozy. And I love cozy. I come into this brewery all the time for cozy. You want a beer hall. you you basically go out there to, to Hailstorm. I mean, it's a big, big drive from Blue Island. I mean, that's what, we're lucky here in the Chicagoland area that we have all these great breweries that are all over the place. Outdoor patio, fire pit for the chilly evenings, music on the weekends, trivia nights. They got their seasonals out right now, including the Primo Mexican Lager. Try the Morley, which is dedicated to Mokina, Orland, and Tinley. It's an American brown ale, so that's a hoppier take on the English brown. Follow them at Facebook, at Hailstorm Brewing Co. Check out all that have to offer at hailstormbrewing.com all right so if i asked you sum up this book for a young white Sox fan because here's the thing there are people that showed up in here that watched dick allen in person right and i didn't like i could hear stories about him seriously you get you get dad at the ballpark and he gets a couple of beers in him and it's the middle of the game and it's a blowout one way or the other. He's he's bored. All of a sudden, I hear about how Dick Allen one time, a line drive that almost killed the pitcher and somehow continued to rise until it hit center field <laughs> and went out. Okay. I've heard that story 7,462 times. It's, it's insane. He brings it up all the time. And each and time there's more and more blood.
1: There's more.
2: Yeah. The and Goose Gossage the story. tells the same story. Right? Does not tell the story? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So
0: it's
1: a real story <laughs> because real I'm story. not sure when he
2: tells yeah, it. Mickey Lolich was a pitcher. Okay.
0: So, so. I, but, but sell this to a fan that isn't from that era because we have, we have fans of all ages that listen to the show because I've looked over the book. I've read some sections of it already. I'm intrigued. I can't wait to check out the entire thing. But, but kind of break it down as to why they want to check this out.
2: I think it's because um, it, it's an important part of Sox history. Uh, the teammates on that team, Wilbur Wood, uh, Bill Milton, uh, and Dick, and others on that team, uh, like Carlos May, they sort of introduced a lot of Southside fans to become White Sox fans after the go-go Sox and, and the horrible teams we had in the late 60s. So I think that's the identity, is here hear a little bit of history, some interesting personalities. Uh, they, they were scrappers. I think Sox fans, Southside fans, like teams that overcome adversity. And they, they almost won the division that year. If, if Bill Milton hadn't gotten hurt, they would have won won the division, uh, and they were the second best team in the American League. We didn't have wild card then, and so if there had been a wild card team, you know, there I think we would have had a good shot in the postseason because we only had three starting pitchers, and that we would have been set up for the the postseason. I think it's just an exciting team. You had Harry Carrier in a second year at. at um, for the White Sox, and most people who grew up have only heard him for the Cubs, don't know how much fun it was when he was with the White Sox. And you got Nancy Faust, and she revolutionized entertainment and baseball. And it was just a fun era. You went to the ballpark, there wasn't all the stereo music. Uh, you had, you know, the, the, the Sox had their bullpens on the side, which made it really exciting. You could see some like Goose Gosses or Terry Forster war, warm up in the, in the bullpens. And it just was a fun place, and the fans came back. It was also a good place because there was a lot of diversity. Um, they, the White Sox had a lot of Latino fans, a lot of Amer- African-American fans, and that was something Dick noticed when he came to Chicago for the first time. And it was just a really loyal fan base, and it just was a joyous time because we were so horrible. It was the White Sox's best team in the 1970s. Everybody thinks about the, uh, uh, the South Side Hitman team, This team was better in the record. Yeah, the other thing is that the, this book uh, puts John Allen um, in, uh, it, um,
3: not on a pedestal, but it it provides, you know, younger fans. The example
0: of an owner that isn't is so annoying? Is that what you're talking Well, doing yeah, well,
3: well, well, the thing is Jerry I mean, Reind- come on, let's be honest,
0: guys. He's got one World Series appearance in 40 years. Jerry Reinsdorf's basketball stuff doesn't count for me. So, yeah, right.
3: I want to hear all about John Allen. Right, yeah, the younger Sox fans only know the Sox is being owned by Jerry Reinsdorf and Eddie Einhorn, um, and it's been four 40 plus years since uh, Reinsdorf bought the team from Bill Vec, There are only four really principal owners in the team's history. you got the Comiskys, you got Bill Veck, you've got the Allen brothers, and you've got Reinsdorf. And the thing about John Allen is he was involved with the team, um, his brother Art was the principal owner for the first uh, from 62 to 69. And Art, you know, was always looking for a new stadium because he thought that uh, Comiskey Park was not um, conducive for the fans it wasn't it wasn't a great place for the fans and so he was always looking for um, some sort of shared facility um, with the Bears and he had, uh, had talked with Mayor Daly about it and Mayor Daly had his own ideas about a shared facility but John Allen when he bought the team from the from his brother when he took over from his brother his brother was prepared to sell the team to Bud Selig and Bud Selig was prepared to move the team to Milwaukee and this was in 1969 they had already played games um in, in County Stadium in 68 and 69 as a home team. So it was going to happen. It was a done deal. It was a handshake deal. And John Allen was the guy who said, the White Sox are a Chicago institution. They're a so- Southside institution. They need to remain in Chicago. They need to remain at 35th and Shields. And so they, they, he was the guy, more than Bill Veck, more than anybody. And Bill Veck said the same thing. John Allen is why the so- White Sox are in Chicago. And it, it was ironic because John Allen was a Cubs fan when he was growing up. He, he, he grew up in Wilmette in the North Shore. He was a sportsman who played golf and he loved the Cubs growing up, but he became a Sox fan when the team, when his he and his brother bought the team and he would make 40, 50 games per year there at Comiskey Park and said, you know, it was the, it was a, it's a great place for baseball. We need to stay here and, and build our fan base
2: here. He also used to show up in Sox uniform. When in spring training and before games, (laughs) can you imagine the owner in the dugout? Can you
0: imagine Jerry Reinstorf walking up in pinstripes? Are you
3: kidding me?
2: No, it was really cool. I mean, that's how much he was passionate about the team. He had a passion
3: for the team, and he had a, a goal to keep the Sox a Chicago institution. And as Sox fans, we should all thank him for that.
1: So do you think fans of any generation, not just the ones that saw this team, that this team would be more celebrated and we would know more about this era if they had actually won that year?
2: Oh, certainly. I mean, if they had won and they were about to win in 73, they were were gonna run away with the division. Dick Allen was on pace to be repeated as the MVP. I mean, the the fan base exploded. They sold more tickets. They got their radio deal black with WMAQ. It was just really exploding for sucks. Dick got hurt. He got his uh, left leg was run over by Mike Epstein and so he missed the second half of 73, and that injury just really, really took the sail out of the Sox.
0: And, and that, I think, brings us right back here to the reason why he's sitting on the, on the cover, because with all the people that you described and the interesting stories, and there's so many more that we weren't able to touch on, Dick Allen really was the, the center of what you guys are describing in your book, Chili Dog MVP, Dick Allen, the 72 White Sox, and the transforming of Chicago. We've been talking with John Owens and David J. Fletcher here at Blue Island Beer Company. Guys, I've had a great time talking with you. How do people get the book?
2: Well, um, is it on Amazon? It's, it's on Amazon. There you are go. good. Okay, <laughs> okay. Well, we, we prefer to go to our publishers who are here, you know, Rick and David, okay. to Eckhart's But you can, we have a website, Chili Dog MVP. And it'll give a, how you order it from the publishers, the book.
0: All right, awesome. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, thank you to everybody to coming out to Blue Island Beer Company. We're going to continue to hang out. I don't know if that applause is for us or the fact that the White Sox are up four to nothing and maybe salvaging their season right here as we did this broadcast. And all of it is due to the live podcast from Sox in the Basement. Thank you, everybody.